everybody welcome to episode 24 of the bolt from the blue podcast and joining me today are two true blue mancunians first of all the man the legend city fan legend walter smith hi walter how are you very well indeed it's uh the weather's turned here in manchester for everybody that knows and it's cold 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 but that might just be the international break. So I'm hoping that City put a bit of warmth into our hearts on Saturday. And how's your week been, Walter? Oh, sound, you know. it's um, I managed to avoid Ikea last Saturday. So, you know, it's, uh, it's all good after that. <laughs> and next, we also have a true blue born and bred man, Cunian, if ever there was one. David Gregory. Hi, David. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Lovely to hear from you. Lovely to get... Get this podcast started now guys before we get started i just want to give a shout out to some diehard blues who support our pod and who we love dearly now there's quite a list here so bear with me for a moment we have got tom uh tom kennerly three we've got eddie rowan we've got rachel at rachel j35 We've got the lovely Eileen Fullen. she retweets everything we do she's such a great a supporter We've got a guy called Spike, we've got Amy, we've got Wormy, we've got the wonderful Dorothy Mae Lewis, we've got Etta, of course, she's my surrogate mom because she tells me when to get to bed and when to wake up. We've got uh, Nigel Wilkinson, Rachel Dixon, Barbara Ellen, Daniel Horrid, Stephen at Hate Red Always, I like that name, Linda Ellis, Tony Brooks, Alastair Alderton, Andy Crago, the lovely Laura Lou, Kieran, Eileen Mayo, and also, of course, uh, two of our great supporters are Joni and Leanne. We love you guys. We also appreciate Mark McCarthy, Ray and Andy from Man City Fan TV, Pernilla Larson, of course, Pernilla is such a great fan of ours and guys we are definitely omitting some important people so please drop us a message if we forgot you so that we can honor you in the next episode and i think walter and david will join me in just uh, thanking those guys for their support now guys i think the first thing that we're going to start with uh we'll start with walter this stadium expansion plan sixty-three thousand. And this has uh, been received with quite a lot of laughter from other uh, supporter groups because they say that we can't fill our ground at the best of times. Walter, what do you think about this? <laughs> I don't like this idea of uh, judging people whether they can attend games or not on a lot of different levels. This country is going through a major austerity drive. And for I wouldn't mind it. Sometimes it's fans who've never been to games who are pointing and laughing at uh, Manchester City for having empty seats in the ground. And I don't get the extension bill, build it and they will come because if you get that extension build, you can look at lowering prices. You can get a lot more people to games. At the end of the day, if you, we, I've seen empty seats at the Etihad 
and then I've looked at um, you know the, um, at the, uh, the the web beforehand, and it's it's sold out. So whether there's people not taking it up, I'm not quite sure. I know I don't go to every single game, and I'm a season ticket holder, and you know sometimes I don't get a chance to put it on the exchange. So uh, you know there's an empty seat there. So you know some guy from Timbuktu can get on his Twitter and vent his anger at Manchester City with this whole idea about what's not filling the ground. But yeah, build it. You know, it doesn't count towards F- F- FFP. And let's get the best ground in the country because what they've done with the other end is fabulous. And if it's a European night or it's an FA Cup game and we know we're not going to fill, we're going to get a crowd of 40,000 just shut the, you know, just shut the top tiers. You know, there's no, uh, there's no hardship there. And it's not just a Manchester City thing. This is uh, something that affects all football clubs at the top. Why? Because the pricing is ridiculous. And football, this is the most important bit. Football is nothing without fans. Uh, David, uh, uh, Walter's just given us that fantastic line from Wayne's World, you know, build it and they will come. But when you actually look into the reports, the club have consulted with fans on this and they're planning to put in these rail seats like at Dortmund and Celtic. And the whole idea is to offer cheaper seats for people. So are you against this this stadium expansion? No, not at all. I, I would much have preferred that they did both ends at the same time because when they put in the planning, they put in for both. All this empty had it's unfortunately because it's Etihad, it lends itself very nicely to that little jibe. If that's all the Muppets have got to poke fun at, let them fill the boots. With a stadium that, with, that can, can comfortably seat over 60,000, we can then throw our hat in the ring for European finals. You know, we had the Europa League there a few years ago when Rangers paid us a rather <laughs> fortuitous visit. But, you know, there's, there's other things. There's concerts, you know, from a concert venue perspective. Um, yeah, we, we build it and we fill it more often than not. And yeah. for, when they, whenever they do this, I'm, I'm more concerned with people who walk out with 10 minutes to go. Appreciate if you've got youngsters, you want to beat the rush and there's a row and row of, you know, huge gaps in the last sort of five minutes or so. I don't, I don't know how it happens elsewhere. Maybe, you know, you, if you want to go early, you have to buy a seat higher up so you can't be seen or you, your absence isn't quite so noticeable. But with the entertainment that we're putting on, as uh, the team are putting on, to actually get up and walk out with 10 minutes to go, I just do not understand it. I really don't. Walter, is that something that you've been aware of, of people leaving the ground early? It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Um, at the end of the day, it's one of them things where you pay your money, you make your choice. And if people want to leave early, you know, it's their lookout. You know, people want to leave up 10 minutes late, you know, that's their lookout. At the end of the day, they paid the money. And it could be for, for a variety of reasons. One of the main reasons I can completely understand is we call this the Northern Powerhouse, but oh, the roads around Manchester at the moment are shocking. And if you don't get ahead in that rush, um, you know, you could be kept behind. You, you could be looking at another hour and a half onto your journey. And we don't know how far people come. We don't know people's circumstances. There's a guy who sits two rows behind me who gets up and leaves with 10 minutes to go pretty much whenever. And who am I to judge him? I just think, yeah, fair enough, mate. That's what you want to do. Knock yourself out. And the game's last and it caters for me and I'll sit and watch it. You know, I might leave with a couple of minutes to go if I'm busting for the toilet or whatever the reasons may be. But yeah, you know, people, it's a broad church, isn't it? The 60,000 Manchester City fans, if we get them all in there. As I said, some people 
will want to leave early and good luck to him. David, what would you estimate the size of City's fan base in Manchester to be? I really don't know. Um, easily, you know, I would say 100,000 plus in the, in the greater Manchester area that, that could, if they wish to, come to games. Mm. Bearing in mind, go, you know, go back a long way. City were the much, much bigger club. That's, you know, my dad took me there, uh, and lots of dads did from my generation because City were the, the powerhouse at that time. Mm-hmm. Walter, is there anything that the club could do that you could think of to make getting away from the ground a little bit easier than it currently is? Well, you're looking at there's various different ways. I mean, getting away from the ground. I mean, there's a lot of areas around the ground where you can park. There's a lot of areas. It might be an, it might be an idea to put car parks further out and it could provide free buses, if you know what I mean, to those car parks. Um, there's a lot of buses that go in. I mean, I, I, I've got two ways. I'll either come in and park on a car park about half a mile from the ground and walk in, or I'll walk back into Manchester along the canal. That's my sort of two main routes. And it's, you know, that's a pleasurable walk as long as it's not raining. But get more trams on. We're talking about a lot of people here, and we're not far from Manchester City Centre. So you've got a lot of buses, a lot of trams. It's walkable for myself. But the park and ride thing, I think, might be quite a decent idea, which would allay a lot of the traffic as well, because a lot of people, they can park for the same price for a fiver or whatever, four or five miles away and get the free bus in. That would be a way of alleviating that much traffic coming to the ground. But, yeah, just get everyone drunk and then (laughs) they've got no choice. They can't drive then. (laughs) David, do you remember the days when you used to park your car and kids would uh, charge you a quid or two quid to guard it for you until you came back again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of Winstons. It was – they actually – bless them, they were there when we came back because I always say, you know, but I'll give you the other half when when I come back. And bless him, they were always there waiting for the other half of the money. They did, a good, it, they did a good job, didn't they? <laughs> it was local economy, and it worked very well. It was a little bit of a like a mafia-style racket, but it worked quite well, didn't it? Well, you, you, again, you, you take your choice. If you say, you know, on your bike, sunshine, you know, you might find a scratch on your car when you came back. <laughs> so we never took that risk for, for a couple of quid, which, you know, in, in the great scheme of things, it's not a great deal. Um, uh-huh. It worked. I mean, I'm sure, I doubt very much they stood there and watched my car for the two hours I wasn't there. <laughs> uh, Walter, um, one thing that we have to consider, we're all considering this at the moment, is that obviously we've had Kevin De Bruyne injured and Bernardo Silva fitted in so nicely there. But uh, we learn now that after the recent uh, spate of international games that Bernardo Silva is uh, picked up a knock. And everyone's a bit curious now, Walter, about how Pep will reformulate that midfield trio. How would you see that? Well, you've got two obvious choices, haven't you? You've got Gundogan and Foden. Uh, could this be Foden's chance to you know, rise from the ashes like a phoenix and uh, supplant a place or a stake, as it were, into the uh, recognition of him being becoming a first-team player? You know, you've got Gundogan there, who I, I'm 
I never understood the, the abuse that Gundogan gets. You know, he's an effective player who gets into most teams in the Premier League and he's perfectly happy to play that bit part role for us. It's vitally important when you're going for four trophies uh, all in one season. So that looks like the obvious. I mean, De Bruyne should be back sooner rather than later and I don't know how bad uh, Bernardo's uh, injury is. So we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But that's presumably how I think he'd go. David, how do you see that going? I mean, the betting is that um, Pep will go for Gundogan. I mean, all of us, all of us Blues would love to, to see Phil Foden get a chance, but um, he does seem to have a trust in, in Gundogan, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and that trust has been earned. I mean, he, he's a tidy player. He, he doesn't let us down. I mean, bear in mind, you know, the injury that um, he got playing against Watford that wrote off, you know, virtually the rest of the career. It takes a while, a good while, for your confidence to come back after things like that. But it's always dangerous to try to second-guess Pep. And I've been thinking about this one. It wouldn't surprise me if he dropped Mares back and played Sane on that side or Sterling on that side with Mares just, just dropped back a little bit. Don't try and second-guess Pep because it's a riddle within a riddle with him, isn't it? And just when you think that you need another left-back, he pulls out Delph, if you know what I mean, Zinchenko. You know, who in the right mind would have believed that, you know, Zinchenko was going to be, uh, I wouldn't say main players, but was going to be certainly a solid performer at left-back last season. So Pep's there and he sees the squad day in, day out, and he can assess it day in, day out, and he can experiment day in, day out as well. So... It's unfortunate about Bernardo. Have you got any ideas on how long Bernardo's going to be out? They reckon a couple of weeks. Unfortunately, I think we've got, is it Watford and Bournemouth in those couple of weeks? So it's not, uh, we're not talking, their games at City should be winning, regardless of Bernardo's there or not. And if we can fit in a Foden or a Gundogan for, for just for those couple of weeks, it's all good, you know? David, let me throw you a curveball. What do you think about the idea of putting in Zinchenko in there? Because he is a natural-born midfielder. He's never got the chance to play there. He's He's been deputized as a left-back. But what would you think about the idea of uh, giving this guy a run in attacking midfield? Uh, well, he is, as you say, he is a natural midfielder. We're also uh, not taking Fabian Delph into consideration yet. Uh, and after his... Stunning performance in, you know, for England. I, I would say that possibly even before Gundogan, that Fabian Delph would get a shout. Whether or not Fabian will go in at left back, because Mendy's not fit either. Um, that's, that's more, the more likely to put Fabian there. Um, and we do lose a little bit with, on the attacking side, because his natural thing is to come in, whereas Mendy's natural is to, is to go down the wing. And then sent in those vicious crosses. So you lose a little bit in that respect. But I would trust Fabian Delph anywhere in in the back or in the midfield. Walter, what do you think about the idea, uh, controversial idea, of giving Fernandinho a rest and putting in Fabian Delph as the uh, central defensive midfielder because his performance against uh, his performance for England was exemplary and people are beginning to wonder now can Fabian Delph do the job that Fernandinho does no i don't think he can uh, i didn't watch i don't watch england so i didn't see the uh, performance that he put in now if i was thinking about i mean we've got Fabian Delph here and to me it sounds good, but he needs to be playing left back. If you've got Mendy out now for the foreseeable, 
certainly until the January transfer window, we should be looking at putting, make, making Delph that sort of that position his own, as it were. Uh, you've got to me. This is a perfect opportunity. You talk about giving youngsters an the chance to go and take it, you know, a claim in the team. And if you've got Silver and De Bruyne out, you could always put Zinchenko in with a De Bruyne shirt and hopefully no one would notice. But I think it's time to put Foden in, if you know what I mean. Uh, Walter, let me just stay with you for a second. I just want to drag your memory back a little bit. Do you remember when Fabian Delph played for Aston Villa? Do you remember what position he played? I mean, he had a great reputation there. I don't remember exactly what position he played back then. Do you? Oh, wasn't he one of a, like in a 4-4-2, uh, one of the uh, two midfielders? That's what I thought he was. Um, I mean, the thing is with Delph, he is Mr. Reliable. He's another one of those fantastic players that will play the squad system. Um, is happy to be at City. You know, he's there with half, half of Yorkshire, you know, in that back four. And he obviously feels very at home there. And, you know, the type of player who is fantastic when he comes on the pitch, but again, he's not a world beater, he's a steady Eddie, you know, he's solid. Puts on them seven or eight out of ten performances week in, week out, but he's prepared to sit on the bench and wait for his time and his opportunity instead of going to a club like, I think, was it Stoke that were interested in him? So you talk about the player who's a Premier League champion and must have had the time of his life last year and was a mainstay in the team, was going to be sold to Stoke for peanuts. Mm-hmm. So fair play to him. It's one of those, you know, it's, um, you're looking at a player minus the ego. And I think we can't have, you need to have quite a few of them. Every successful squad has those players. And Fabian Delph and Gundawan are just that in bucket loads. And that's why Pep, and, and that's why I love them as well. But, um, go on. Do you know, are you teasing me? And do you know exactly what position he played at, uh, Aston Villa? I don't. My memory is that he was a, an attacking midfielder. He's never going to be an attacking midfielder for us. Uh, if you just look at the quality and the, the level. I mean, we're talking about Aston Villa, as you were saying. And he was one of Aston Villa's better players, but they were in a relegation dogfight, you know, and they went down the season, they sold him. And you just think to yourself, that's that level. And that's, you can get by on that for a week or two. But if you're putting him in, starting to put him in for a bit long term, it's never going to work. I mean, he's got that fantastic engine. And that's why I think he could play the Fernandinho role against the smaller teams when there's not as much relying on it. Yeah. The problem with Ferrandino is as much as we love him and as much as he's never slowed down and the fact that he's getting better and better as this season goes on, he ain't no spring chicken. So we're look, we need to be looking at that long-term replacement. But before we can do that, we've got to be looking at he needs a bit of a break. But the fact that he's had a couple of weeks off now because he wasn't called up for the Brazil squad, was he? No, no, he wasn't. So that's just fantastic for us, you know. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, every single player could get for us could get dropped from every single international team, and they could be fresh as daisies, ready to go again. David, it's time for us, I think, to do a little bit of a West Ham preview. Uh, is there anything? Now that's a Pellegrini team, and we know how Pellegrini plays. We were under him for three years. Is there anything that gives you cause for concern going into that game? No, I wouldn't say concern. Um, Anatovic is all John Stones and Emerick Laporte will will deal with him. Noble in midfield is coming off a three-match ban and an international break, so his influence won't be as strong. Um, we're going to it. It's, it's our away day trip, so I'm looking Enjoy. forward. To, 
looking forward to the City fans giving Manuel Pellegrino a big chuck up and Pablo as well. Because uh, it's a lovely place to go. The, the West Ham fans are superb with us. So I'm, I think it'll be a good day. Yeah, they're they're one of our favourite uh, second teams. But Walter, they do have a player called Felipe Anderson, who is a very very dangerous. Do you share David's confidence that we've got nothing to worry about there? <laughs> I think well, I'm with him. Pardon the pun. Really? It's um, yeah. Oh God, to predict the past, to predict the future. You know, you just look at the past, and we're we're steamrolling teams at the moment. And in many respects, I mean, I was talking to, um, I played five aside tonight and I, I get a lift home and with a United fan who I've known for more years than I care to remember. And we were talking about the contrast sort of in, in between the two teams. And I was saying, you know, teams turn up against us now and you can see the fear. And he was saying that United have to scrap for points because they've lost that fear. You know, the, the, the teams that play them. So we're, we're talking about, we are the best team arguably in Europe, which means we're the best team in the world because European football is beyond. And the football we've played over the last two seasons, you know, we came up against our kryptonite against Liverpool, but ultimately over a season, you know, a hundred points, no team managed that, you know, in one of the top leagues in Europe. So we're arguably the best team in Europe and any fears that we have. West Ham are shitting bricks about Saturday, and rightly so. You know, you look at Zabletta and God bless him, and what a fantastic servant for us. His legs have gone. You know, and you you look at a lot of a lot of the West Ham team, and it's it's all it almost reminds me of a an older sort of a city team before the takeover, where you kind of scramble these players together, and you you know you try and make the best of what they are. You know, they're almost like mercenaries. Some some of them are seeing the the last paycheck, and some of them have gone there to try to make a move to a bigger club, a little bit like we used to be. I suppose when we first moved into the Commonwealth Stadium, and they've moved into the Olympic Stadium, and a similar sort of position to what we were then. So, you know, West Ham, I do love West Ham. I've been to the ground, I've seen Guns N' Roses, uh, but I've never been to a football game there. <laughs> and I, I, oh, they were good as well. Oh, they were um, Oh, they were fantastic that night. And just this whole idea of us being afraid of them. As City fans, in many respects, we need to lose that. If you, if you, go and have a look at last season's table and see how many games we lost. Mm. Look, go and look at how many teams beat us. We lost two games last year. So when we're going to the likes of West Ham away, you know, we should be putting on a performance that we know West Ham fans are going to stand up and applaud and go, that's fantastic. I want one day to see my team play like that because that's who we are at the moment. David, uh, I, I, I do have a few concerns because they have a player called Andre Yarmolenko who's a flying winger. They've got a player that uh, Walter himself has uh, said that he loves called Declan Rice. They've got a defender called Issa Diop that I would have loved City to have bought back in the day. He was a French youngster who's an absolute giant in defence. They've still got, obviously they've got Javier Hernandez, they used to play for United. They've got Arnautovic, they've got Lucas Perez, Lanzini is apparently injured, they've got Snodgrass, Mikel Antonio that was that was linked with City for a small time. Walter? Mike, you, do you know all these brilliant players that you're telling me about? Yeah. Which one would make our first 11? I can't exactly. think of one. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I was quite chuffed. I saw the first uh, City report today, and it said uh, if City can't get De Jong, these are the alternatives that Pep's looking for. And Rice came up in it, and I thought, yeah, go on. I spotted that one a long time ago. The guy's you got did. talent. You, d- you did. You did. You did. You don't think that he's going to blunt our forwards? No. The problem is, if you've got one player there who can stop him, two players there, we are like we're like. The easiest thing to, if I said to you, cup your hands, I'm going to pour water into it. And then I'd say, keep all that water in there for the next hour, next 90 (laughs) minutes. And you'd be like, right. And you'd be trying to keep your hands as tight as possible. And you might do all right for a bit, but then water would start to seep out. And then you'd start to get a bit fed up. Then more water would seep out. And then you'd say bollocks to this and throw the rest of it away. And we're like that water. We're just liquid football. We can attack from any angle. You know, we're not predictable. We It could be left, it could be right. The movement is so hard to pick up. So that's just pet is liquid football. And that's me, the best analogy I can give to you, if you know what I mean. David, I don't know yeah, what I don't know what happened to Walter, but you know, we all of us guys, you know, who are in our forties or, or or more, we've just got that natural inbuilt pessimism, haven't we? Uh, I, I think it's, built, it's, it's but 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 it seemed to bypass Walter, didn't it? I mean, David, do you feel the same? I, I do. Now, I mean, I, I never ever thought I would see this kind of football in my lifetime again. And that I, you know, I can share that with Victoria. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. You say again, you never saw it in the first place, did you? Uh, Not this in, good. Well, in the 60s, 68 onwards, there, there, there was a very, very good team there. We only lost two games in the championship winning season of 68, I think. I, I'm more optimistic than I've ever been. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm a, I've always been a glass half full sort of guy anyway. Hey. That's Walter's uh, name. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is. We, 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 we're spoiled rotten now with this. And yep. to actually, to fret over it and worry about it. And you, you know, the, some of those names you brought, Snodgrass, he, he's got to be in his thirties now. You know, he's been, he was at Leeds, he was at Ipswich and, I think he was at Villa for a little while. You know, he's a talented player, but, you know, against any of ours. I mean, we used to say, didn't we, we'd, we'd say, we've got to find a way to break these teams down that, that just back up in defence. And we have. I, I would think, how does Manuel Pellegrini, very experienced manager, how does he talk to his players to say, you know, this Saturday you're facing the best team in the world? Good you know, luck, lads. You know, you know what I think is the problem. I, I maybe I don't know if Walter was there, but it was. Uh, I'm going to cast his mind back to uh, 1980, the third round of the FA Cup, and I got I, I was traumatized as a child. We got beaten by Halifax Town one nil, and yeah. they absolutely made my life a misery at school for weeks and weeks on end. And I guess uh, stuff like that it, it doesn't leave you even even in adulthood. <laughs> No, but we've 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 had those. Wigan was it was a strange result last year, where it was just one of those games where no matter what we tried, it wasn't coming off, and you could see you know one one breakaway. But that is football. That's the beauty of football, and and the beautiful thing about the Premier League, which is what makes it so attractive, is on any given day, any team can be any other team, except us. <laughs> <laughs> Walter, let's change the subject a little bit because this is something that everyone's talking about. So you, you guys know that Benjamin Mendy is out again. He's only he's only just been back. 
and now it's his other knee, and he's got some kind of uh, lesser injury. They don't expect him back until after the new year. And uh, we have been linked heavily with Alexandro by a number of outlets. Is it time, Walter? Is it time that we finally got a left-back that knows how to defend? Well, you look at, uh, as I said, one of the things I sort of judge City on is if you want to buy players, you've got to buy players that have got to take the club where you want them to be. Now, we want to be Champions League winners and we want to be the best team in the world. And if you've got Benjamin Mendy and then you've got Fabian Delph, as good as Fabian Delph is, as your second choice. And, you know, the thing about Mendy is, I'm not saying he was injury prone, but the guy doesn't do 50 plus games a season anyway. He doesn't defend either, Walter, though, does he? Ah, come on. I mean, uh, yes, he does. I mean, the thing is, it used to make me laugh when I used to watch that Barcelona team and it's pomp and people say, well, you know, the defense is suspect. I'm thinking, no, it's not. You know, because it's one of these things that I looked at Mendy and I think he, I think he's been grossly unfair. He does like to get forward, but he's even curtailed that a little bit because he's fitting into a system. You know, he's learning and he's grown as an individual and as a human being and as a footballer. But what I would say is City need to sign. Cause we want two world-class players. I mean, I know that's a term that I don't overly like, but we need two absolute highest quality players in every position. And the only ones we haven't got at the moment is goalkeeper, left-back and defensive midfielder. After that, you know, we're talking about a team that our second team, if we've got the decent players in those three positions, our second team, I believe, could challenge for a Champions League spot in the Premier League. And that's what we're looking at. I mean, we're looking at a freak of nature, this team. A hundred points, never been done before. And then if that's the three positions, I'd be looking at bringing in somebody. And I'm not even overly sure about the goalkeeper because I've not seen the reserve goalkeeper a great deal. We need another central central sort of defender, defensive defender, not defender, midfielder, and we need a left back. After that, you could you could shut the transfer window for us for the next two years. Would be fine, David. Of course, I, I I'm playing a little bit of agent provocateur uh, with Walter because we've we we have had a few accusations of being uh, a bunch of city cheerleaders uh, on the uh, Bolt from the Blue uh, podcast. But um, just to just to play agent provocateur with you a little bit, uh, David. Some people have said that. Benjamin Mendy, as great as he is going forward, when he's asked to do defensive work, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between him and Mangala. What would you say with that? That's a little bit unkind. Um, have a look how many goals we've conceded. Right. Uh, now, you know, you can say, wow, you know, Mendy, Mendy have dropped a ricket there, but it hasn't led to a goal. Somebody, somebody's cleared up. Yep. Um, Vinny dropped a ricket and very nearly got himself sent off. With a tackle not that long ago, mm-hmm. but nobody blaming Vinny as saying Vinny's got to go. Del uh, dropped a ricket against yeah. Uh, Leon. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's I've, I've said before, nobody goes to work and it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time you're at work. So, so guys, you know are, are you both are you both saying that you have full confidence in Mendy's defensive skills? I I mean purely defensive skills, Walter. What what do you think? It's not a purely defensive game, and City don't set up as a purely defensive team. And if you look at the amount of goals we've conceded while Mendy's playing, it's 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 less than anybody else. It's less than any other team in the Premier League. 
So, you know, uh, he had, the only player I've seen give him a hard time was the... Adama uh, Traore. Adama Traore. The, 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 guy, the, the guy from Wolves, yeah? Yeah. I mean, he, he's just built like a boxer. And uh, I don't know how many left-backs in the world would have been able to sort of live with him anyway, the, the form he was showing that day. But... <laughs> the full way I can look at this. But guys, yeah. guys, listen, listen. We we can't we can't just keep saying that our defensive unit, particularly Mendy, are we, we, that we don't need to discuss their defensive abilities because City don't need to defend. There will be times in the Champions League, especially in the latter stages, when these guys' defensive abilities will be put to the ultimate test. Now, my question yeah. to you is: Can Mendy, do you trust Mendy to defend against a fast uh, winger like the likes of Mohamed Salah or the other guys that we're going to come up against? I mean, I, I, I'm not, I understand your point completely that we are we do have a way of playing where we don't have to defend, but there will come times that we will have to defend, guys. Yeah, and and you're talking about uh, certainly the fullbacks. They are the hardest working players in a team because they are expected to be in the attack and they're also expected to be in the defence. Now, David, they've shown their attacking prowess. Absolutely no question about that. Absolutely no question. There, There's a theory going around, and I, I've been reading it, and it's a, it's all about something called deliberate practice. And, uh, and what it means is that you uh, improve when you get tested. And the more you have to defend, then the better that you become at it. And that's why people say that, you know, teams down the bottom of the league, they get so much practice defending that they get quite good at it. City don't really have to defend with Pep's style of play. And that's something, Walter, that worries me just a little bit. Can you assuage my fears on that? Yeah, of course I can. We, City haven't conceded an open goal in the Premier League uh, from... Uh, since Newcastle at the beginning of September. We're now the 22nd of November. If that's not allaying your fears, I don't know what is, Mike. We're looking at, I think Leon scored two goals against us when Delph was playing left back. So we're not conceding goals when Mendy's there. I've seen him have one bad game, and that was against Tottenham on that pitch, and none of the fullbacks played well that night. So I can forgive him for that. But if people are going after Mendy, his record proves that he has been put, look at look at the amount of clean sheets and the only times that people score against us is through penalties recently. So are you going to blame Mendy for the penalties? Is Mendy the new Raheem Sterling when he's blamed for world peace and all kinds of problems? I'm not overly sure. But what I would say is, as a unit, the back four there, you know, you talk about getting practice. Nobody's questioning Laporte. No one's questioning Stones. No one's questioning the goalkeeper, Edison. No one's questioning Walker. They just seem to be focusing in on one player there. Why? I'm not overly sure. But for me, he's not let anybody down. I've seen him have one bad game this season. And it was a clean sheet anyway. So, again, I'll reiterate the point that Newcastle scored against us at the beginning of September. We haven't conceded a goal from open play in the Premier League, arguably the hardest league in the world. Let the rest of it go whistle. Okay. Yeah. The other answer, the answer, answer to your other part of the question is how do you how do you compete against the really fast winger? Is you push him back, you come forward, and you fo- you force that winger to be part of a defensive unit right. instead of tearing. And also in in a game where you're playing a, a, a technique technically a higher quality side, 
you're, you're training in the week that runs up to that. You're training to sort of, well, we're going to be up against a player like this. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me that in those sort of weeks, you've got Mendy facing up Sane or Sterling in practice matches. How did Mo Salah get on this year against us this season? He didn't, yeah. have, he didn't have much success, really, did he? It's, it's, it's a, it's, I'm not saying it's unique to City, but I see it in lots of clubs that, that fans get behind a, a, a or get onto a certain player, and then suddenly that player can do nothing right, and it's not it's, it isn't right, you know that we, we are if if we're going to say people accuse us of being cheerleaders. For me, we have a very simple job. You're a supporter. That's your job. You know, and if you don't want to support your club, then don't call yourself a supporter. Okay, now guys, don't 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 misunderstand me here. I'm just trying to put to you guys the most difficult questions that okay, I've, been, I've I've been hearing on Twitter. But we can move on just a, a little bit to the aspect of uh, Laporte, uh, Walter. What a wonderful player he is, but he can't seem to get a role for France or Spain. I think that it was reported recently that uh, that Pep feels a little bit sorry for him because all the other guys get off to to go to these international matches and uh, Laporte can't get a game. What what is going on there? Uh, I mean Laporte for me, as I've said, the way I terminologize what he is is he's a Rolls Royce of a defender and he's cool under pressure. He's the yin to John Stones' is yang, you know what I mean? They are so similar, it's untrue. But I put Laporte at a higher level. And um, when you had Beckenbauer sort of talking about Stones being one of the best central defenders in the world during the World Cup, and he's behind Laporte, I don't overly know who's picking the uh, French teams and who's picking the Spanish teams. Apparently, he's decided he's going to play for, for France. Deschamps. Yes, Deschamps is the um, guy who makes the decisions. Well, he probably needs to be uh, drug tested because well, I've no got, other explanation. You've got Varane yeah, and Umtiti. In- he's going for Varane and Umtiti. Now, I'm not going to argue with Varane, but um, I think he's better than Umtiti, guys. Well, Barcelona are worried about Umtiti's form at the moment um, and his long-term fitness. But he's only a young lad. Once he does break through into one of these international teams, he'll be he'll be a fixture. But I, I go support what, what Walter had said earlier. For me, being purely selfish, I'm perfectly happy for him to have a fortnight off and have a rest and be ready to play for who's paying his wages. I know that's the funny thing. Every time I've asked Walter about things like this, about players not playing for the national team, he couldn't give a fiddler's because that means that, they, they, that he's more rested to play for Man City. Isn't that right, Walter? Certainly, especially with the South American lads uh, because they've got so far to travel as well. And what made me laugh is Aguero gets a bit of time off and goes off across the other side of the planet to LA. You know, fair play to him. He's probably got a bit of sunshine there and ate some burgers there or so. But he's come back and, um, the guy just looks incredible this season, doesn't he? You know, he just looks, he, he looks like he did when he first came to City almost. You know, you yeah. thought there was a certain level that Aguero was and he was magnificent, but he's just pushed it up another level. And as far as I'm concerned, every single City player could never play for a national squad again. Wouldn't bother me one iota. I'm not in the business <laughs> of supporting a national squad. I'm a Manchester City fan. And if people want, uh, Liverpool fans want to trumpet to death the idea that Firmino is so much better than Jesus and 
Why would Jesus get picked for Brazil? I agree with you, lads. Drop Jesus. He's rubbish from the whole of the Brazil squad and get Firmino burnt out in the meantime. So, yeah, just for me, I couldn't care less. I'm a City fan. David, it's wonderful that a lot of our key players, uh, for some reason, are overlooked or uh, dropped from their national squads. We have got Sergio Aguero. We have got Fernandinho, who's not being picked. We have got uh, Laporte, who we mentioned. Uh, and so we've got these key players that, for some reason, are not being picked or, or being overlooked. And that's, that's just nothing but good news for us, isn't it? Well, I would say so. I mean, it, it, it's a tough old business playing football and playing two games in a week. You know, it's very, very physical. So a nice little break like this, you know, I'm all, I'm with Sergio, go off and get some sunshine, um, and fit as a butcher's dog when we get together again on Saturday. <laughs> okay, guys, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, now, Walter, there was a, a recent and uh, very popular article uh, released by Sam Lee of Goal.com, and he reckons that Barcelona have reluctantly thrown in the towel over the challenge to get Frankie de Jong because, or Frankie de Jong, because they they just cannot possibly compete with the amount of money that City are prepared to offer for for him. Now, this Walter is more than just. Um, a typical, you know, sideline gossip. This seems to be uh, a reality, and uh, it seems to be that this is the guy that Pep wants to come in and deputise and learn the trade from uh, Fernandinho. How, how do you feel about that? That's just great news. I mean, what makes me laugh is Barcelona straight away talk about the money. Um, what I would say, and there's two, two lads, isn't there, at Ajax. Now, Barcelona are going to sign one of them. So if they're going to sign one, they can't afford to sign both. Because the the Ajax sort of youth academy at the moment just seems to be producing these wonderfully technical players, and they sort of live in a world where they realise this idea of well, hang on a minute, we know they, they, they sort of know the place, and they're sort of restricted very much by being in the Dutch league. Because they're in the Dutch league, they're never going to be, you know, a Barcelona or a Bayern Munich. Or, you know, one of the big teams in England because they're not, never going to have that finance because they've got not got that finance. They've learned to live with that. And they, what they do is produce these wonderfully technical players who they then sell on to try and get the best of the Dutch league and also reinvest in the, the youth products. So I just love the idea that Barcelona can't afford to sign both. And the nearest thing to Barcelona, if you're a huge Barcelona fan, is Manchester City. You know, why Pep? Pep has, has shoved us up with the Barcelona and Real Madrids of this world because players want to play for Pep. And rightly so. This is a guy who, and it's in front of our eyes, will improve you as a player. If the one manager in the world is going to take you from A to B as a player, it's Pep. You know, this is a, just a stonewall genius who's passionate and believes in the teams that he plays for. And the great thing is, if you're buying these young lads, they're just sat there, starry-eyed in front of Pep, listening to every word he's saying and just trying to draw it in. And what, like sponges, they're soaking it up because they want to become better players. That you know, that's their main motivation and drive. Um, I just can't wait for. He's the one player, the one player I'd be excited about getting as well. Him, 
I think he's wonderful and I think he's got so much room to improve as well. But the guy can dictate pace, dictate the game from further back. A little bit like Fernandinho, but sometimes maybe even, maybe even with a better passing range. But Fernandinho's passing range recently has been superb, so he's got a lot to live up to. David, um, there's a lot of excitement about Frankie de Jong, but uh, they also compare him to Jorginho. They talk about his uh, range of passing, uh, both short and long. Are you confident that Pep can teach him how to put the foot in, how to be a bit of a shithouse in the same way that uh, Fernandinho has been able to do? I think Pep can teach anybody anything if he's a mind to. It, it's the arm around the shoulder and it's this is what I want you to do. And the other thing, all, all these professionals know, if you do not do what Pep has asked you to do, then you might not be playing next week. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how big your reputation, your role is to do this. Go and do that. And the, the fantastic thing, you look at the spirit in our, in our team. They all want to play for one another. You know, sometimes you think we you know you think there's a, you, there's a chance to score. You pass it to a player better positioned and he will score. You know, that's the goal spread all the way through the team. It's, it's just absolutely fantastic to watch. And that is all coming from one man. I want Mrs. Guardiola in his ear every night saying, I love it here in Manchester, Pep. Let's stay for another five years. Uh-huh. Walter, uh, a, a, a question that a lot of people have been asking, I'm going to address to you. Is there still a position now in 2018, everyone's seen the way that Pep plays football. Apparently, uh, his template has been uh, mimicked and copied right down to League Four. Is there still um, a role in modern-day top teams for a guy with a bit of aggression and a bit of nastiness, or do you think that those days have passed? I mean, we've got it in our team, you know, but Ferrandinho, for example, will trip somebody up, will put a snide tackle in and smile at the ref. It's done a little bit differently. It's like a, a little jab with a smile rather than wading in with the haymakers. Um, David Silva, you know, he's he, he's adopted that kind of little bit of a nasty streak. And can't a be a nasty little bugger as well, can't he, uh, David Silva? Oh, yeah. Oh, since he's had his hair cut, he's changed. So <laughs> he's gone from David Silva to convict Silva almost. But, you know, every every player needs that. It's just in terms of you don't want to get bullied when you're on the pitch. You want to be, not saying doing the bullying, but you've got to stand up for yourself in many respects. Um, you know, there's still plenty of... Look, Vincent Company's a hard player. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, Aguero's a hard player. It's just the, that ability to... I think... What, what you're asking is, I think the old uh, sort of Andy Morrison type player will start to disappear because they'd just be given yellows and reds and sent off because the game's changed. But that sort of inner steel within a person and that inner steel not to get pushed around, that ain't going anywhere. If City were full of fancy damn players, they'd get bullied off the park most weeks. I saw them play United the other the other week. And they, the one thing that struck me when I was watching it is the size of them. They were massive. And we, you know, we look like these little hobbits just sort of running around, you know, just, just uber. It's like a collective thought almost. 
when a player gets the ball, he knows where the other players are going to be. So the system's sort of taken over. In certainly in Pep's idea way of thinking, the system's taken over. The individual nutcase or individual hard man. I mean, Fellaini still goes in with his elbows. Pogba still goes in with his elbows. But this kind of thing will only get you so far against a Pep machine. And Pep's a freak of nature. When we played at Crystal Palace, two two Palace players tackled Kevin De Bruyne. And both of them, their season finished after trying to tackle Kevin and, and bring him down. Now, Kevin didn't do anything other than let himself be tackled. But Jason Punchin's season was finished at the, right at the end of the game. And Scott yeah, Down early. Nasty challenge. Exactly. Scott Down earlier in the game, nasty challenge on Kevin. And his season was finished. So our guys are tough that, you know, they're, they're, there's a, a lot of steel in there as well. And they can take a challenge. Um, and I, again, it's, it's the best of what you're seeing. We're seeing, this is, you know, we're seeing not the culmination because there's still lots to come, but we're seeing Pep's plan and Pep's masterpiece starting to unravel and it's unfold rather than unravel. And it's fantastic to be in front of us. Walter, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Money on the table. One decision. You've got a choice between bringing in Fernandinho's uh, deputy as uh, Frankie Dion. Or the other alternative is Ndombele from Lyon, and he really is a physical player. Um, doesn't have quite the passing range, but uh, you've got those two choices. Who are you going to go for? It's no brainer for me. Do you know what I was talking about? Uh, Mara has been um, learning to be a pet player. Yep. Dion already is. This is a guy who's special. He's, I, I honestly think he's a once-in-a-generational talent. Uh, I look at him and I just... I just think De Jong and Pep were made for each other. They're like Torval and Dean, if you know what I mean. They just they just need to collide. And once they do, and if we can get him over the line as a signing, I think that's our midfield lockdown. You know, we've got so much talent there. That's our midfield lockdown for the next, you know, five, possibly ten years. You know, we're talking about a, a young lad. And if you're going to learn from someone, it's got to be Pep, especially if you're a midfielder that wants to learn. So, come on, get it on, get it in the city. De Jong all the way. To be honest with you, I just want to see another City player with De Jong on the back as well. Yeah, absolutely. We miss him so much, the the the, the, the first version, right? Um, to be fair, he wouldn't get in this team now. No, no, no I, I guess not. But he had, uh, Walter, back in the day, he had the City fans purring. I think he was one of the most popular players that we had. Do you remember, do you remember those, those crunching tackles? I do. Um, it's almost like, uh, but as a fan base, we've sort of, well, for me anyway, I can't speak for all fans. I just think as myself as a City fan, yeah. Thinking about football and what you're watching has completely changed since Pep Guardiola arrived at Manchester City. What I used to see under Mancini, and Mancini had some fantastic players, and what a wonderful team. But I, I just think if that team came up against Guardiola's team now, we've evolved so much. I just think we'd wipe the floor with them. But every single football fan likes to see the players leaving every effort on the pitch. And whether that's Andy Morrison flying in, tackle, but we're slightly different now. All our all our players, I'll leave that there. Even Bord Edison leaves everything on the pitch, but in a completely different way and in a very non-English way as well. You know, they don't go in. I mean, I remember John Terry uh, talking in the World Cup and England qualifying out of the sort of... Um, 
the group stages was coming to sort of this sort of, it was on a knife edge. And they said to John, John Terry, you know, what do you need to do for this next game? The whole thing was, we need to try harder. We need to give more. And no, it's really, really not. It's it's not this idea of banging, you know, your fist on your shirt and saying, I've got to be more passionate. It's about using what's up here, you know, and I'm pointing to my head. That's not very good for a podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's about using your brain and using working together as a team. And that's what I've seen from Guardiola. I'm a far more knowledgeable football fan from watching Guardiola Guardiola teams in the flesh than I was two, two, three years ago. Do you know, the man just has not evolved cities, evolved everybody who watches it, if you know what I mean. And get, as I said, if he wants to stay in Manchester and he's struggling for a place to stay, he can stay at mine for as long as he likes. (laughs) I want the man here for as long as possible. David, uh, let me just ask you for a little bit of uh, historical perspective, just to satisfy my curiosity. And I know it's going a little bit off point, but uh, we've had some tough players that we've all seen, like Gareth Barry, like De Jong, like Andy Morrison. How would those guys uh, compare, in your opinion, uh, to people like Dave Watson or Mike Doyle? Well, it's it's always a difficult one because football is it's a different animal now to what it was then. So it's it's very hard to compare. I mean, the you you were you could tackle from behind, you could come behind a player and win the ball fairly. Uh, you could actually touch players and they wouldn't fall to the ground as though they'd been shot from a sniper. Uh, so it, it, it's very difficult to compare. Mike Doyle was a very, very tough, very strong player. Dave Watson was an absolute was a, son of a bitch, wasn't he, sometimes? He, he was a he, good, good, very good central defender. But there was a guy before Dave Watson who played alongside uh, Mickey Doyle was Alan Oakes. When I look at some of you know, the, the Laportes, and John Stones, I see a lot of Alan Oakes, who was a, a very elegant, very strong defender. Uh, he had, at times, he had George Heslop. As, as, I mean, George could get his head on anything. Didn't always put it where you wanted it, but he could get his head on virtually anything. But it is, it's a, you know, it's, it's not fair to compare players from yesteryear to players of today because the, the, you've only got to look at the surface that they played on. So, I mean, that was a, an enormous leveller. Just a quick question uh, for Walter, because I think that you might remember this player. Walter, I did one of my famous collages, and I put up um, uh, pictures of who I thought were City's famous hard men. And when I did it, I got like about 50 replies saying, where's Nicky Reed? You you, you haven't put Nicky Reed in there. Uh, do you remember that guy? And was he really that tough? Nicky Reed was, yeah, he wasn't, as I said. But size isn't everything, you know what I mean, in terms of being tough. We've all seen the, you know, the big players and, you know, they, they, they crumble under the first sign of pressure, you know, and then you've got the, we've all seen the big boxers, for example, who crumble under that first sign of pressure. And then you've got these sort of, um, middleweights who just go and go and go and they're getting a beating and they just, every step they hit, they get hit, they just move forward. And that was Nicky Reed as well. Yeah. He was a hard, hard man, if you know what I mean. He knew how to, um, he knew how to put in a Schneid tackle as well. And, he, and more often than not, he'd come away with the ball in a fair challenge. Steve Redmond was another, you know, solid oh, player. Yeah. yeah, those guys were all really, really 
they were masculine men. Guys, uh, yeah. we're, com- we're coming to the end of the pod now, so we're just going to mention a few little extraneous items that um, you guys may or may not have an opinion about. Uh, the first one, uh, Walter, is that there have been reports in certain outlets that uh, Jaden Sancho, who is who everyone is talking about, he's not averse to coming back to Man City. He's actually uh, been quoted as saying that he's not averse to that. Would there be a position for him? Uh, does it look like maybe that Brahim Diaz is on his way out and that maybe Sancho might be an option to come in? Diaz is going to Real Madrid, maybe. That's what the rumours are, to get more minutes because he can't get into the Manchester City team. Um, <laughs> who would have said that a few years ago? Sancho, he is flavour of the month at the moment and his record is good and anybody you speak to who knows anything about youth football said this guy's an absolute special talent. But he wants to be, he, he seems to me like a very sort of uh, focused young man. He left Watford to come to Manchester City to learn his trade and then, you know, he's he's left Manchester City and not many English players go to a team in Germany to try and find their way, find their path back into the game. I know Manchester City won't sell him to another English team, but he went, well, fair enough, I'll go there then. And would I have him back at the drop of a hat just to see how he would get on? Because he's proved himself. It's a shame in many, many, many ways that it wasn't a loan deal. But, you know, he's a very focused young man and, he, you know, the way things are going, he might get to the very top. But if you want to get to the very top in England, Mike, which team are you going to sign for? Mm-hmm. David, uh, just another little uh, snippet of news that uh, we have read about recently. Viv Anderson came out, and um, I wonder if this is something that marks the the passing of the guard. Uh, Viv Anderson came out, uh, and, and he basically he did something that probably Manchester United PR team didn't want him to do. He listed all of the the former United players' sons who now train at Man City. What what do you think about that? Does that mark the passing of the guard that this this city really now is blue and not red? As a father, if you're making those sort of decisions, what's the best place for my lad to go? Then there is only one place. All that's been invested in this, this structure of the club, which nobody wants to talk about except us. You know, that when everyone wants to have a dig about what these, what's going on with our, the, our owners, nobody wants to talk about how much they've invested in the infrastructure of this club. Our academy is world breaking. It's not just Manchester United players, lads. There are lots of young lads from all over the world who are coming here as their first choice. Unfortunately, very few are actually going to reach the, you know, cream rises to the top. Very, very few of them. And if you, if you look at the EDS side of, say, four years ago, where are they now? And go back another four years, look at the EDS side of eight years ago. Where are they? Now, in that time, say, in all the time that we've had Sergio, how many strikers have come up through the ranks and not been able to dislodge a player of the class of Sergio. So the, 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 it, it's a pyramid that doesn't get to a point because, you know, and, and we should be looking at our academy as a, a springboard for kids to get into professional football, not necessarily play for Manchester City, but as a springboard to get into professional football and move them on to other clubs. 
where they could stand a chance of, of making it. There's a lot of good players that used to be in our academy kicking around in the Championship and in other uh, Premier League clubs. Well, the media wants to make more of that, but the reality is that it's not, you know, it's not going to happen. Not unless you change your first team every year. And it tickles me for Ibrahim, bless him. If he's, he's obviously he's got, it's his future. He's got to make the right decision for advised by people who know best. If he, if he can't, feels he can't get into our team, yet he feels confident he can get into Real's. Walter, I wonder if I could get a comment uh, from you about uh, something that I just noticed this morning. Uh, our former Brazilian player, Ilano, has been in the news. And he has been talking about the intricacies of Guardiola's system. And he says that these are things, um, I'm quoting to you now, are something that only former professional footballers can truly ap- appreciate. Here's his quote. He says, you're looking for movement all the time. You see that movement is synchronized. You see that every player knows what to do and the ball arrives perfectly, and that's something that you don't see without playing. And Elano particularly enjoys watching Fernandinho, and he says, I played with Fernandinho at Shakhtar, and I always said he was a player for Europe. He fits the modern game strong, dynamic, he can pass and score, and Elano is saying that really, unless you have played football at the top of the game, you can't really uh, fully appreciate this. What would you say about that? I mean, if you can't appreciate, if you can't appreciate uh, watching that Manchester City team as a football fan, and I appreciate it, um, Jose Mourinho, how far did he get with his footballing career? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, do you reckon Mourinho doesn't appreciate it? That reminds me just of the um, the argument that uh, Robbie Savage uses to. Uh, put down people when he's on 606 and he's talking about this idea of he knows best because he played professional football. As a football fan, you can go and watch games and appreciate what's involved. You can appreciate the intricacies of a midfield of Pep Guardiola. Uh, Jose Mourinho, there's a famous guy. How far did his career get? Exactly. And, you know, for all we want to dislike Mourinho, this is a guy who's reached the top of his profession and he's never played. You know, Wenger, how far did he get with his professional career? You know, we're talking about a lot of different managers all over the world. Never really got that far as a player, but were more suited to their role as a manager. And I think for Alano to come out with something like that, he's perfectly correct in what he's saying in terms of what he can see. But I also think he's uh, very patronising to the majority of the world's population who follow football. And that's his kind of attitude. I like loved Alano when he first signed, and then as a man and as a human being and as a footballer, when he was playing for us and some of the shoddy performances he put in, and he couldn't have given a shit. You know, mm. it was just another paycheck for him. So ultimately, he got shipped out, and he got shipped out for a reason, because he wasn't putting the effort in then. So why didn't he do it then? Yeah, he scored one fantastic free kick. That's what we all remember him for. But, guys, I'm going to uh, finish off by asking you, to, uh, both of you guys, one final question. I'm going to start with David. Now, you two guys, uh, Walter and uh, David, you're both match-going fans. You're not like uh, plastics like myself out in Korea that watch everything on TV. No, but- no, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what. No, 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 Mike. I'm going to stop you there, and I'll tell you okay. why I'll stop you there. And I want you to include this, is the idea of fans who don't go to the games aren't plastics. Uh, you've got uh, people who get up 
my God, you've got people who get up at, and you could name any hour of the morning, and you've got fans on the other side of the world who do this, mm-hmm. and they ain't plastic. You've got people in Los Angeles who'd be getting up at three in the morning, going to a boozer, enjoying the camaraderie with all the people that are there, and are just completely loving life and completely loving the, the city family that they have found in these far flung regions. And they may have something to do with Manchester, they may have not, but they buy into it. And mm-hmm. so, sorry, Mike, I, I'm pulling you up on the plastic thing, mm-hmm. uh, because. I don't know why, Walter. I, I, I guess I always felt a little bit inferior to the, to no, the guys Mike, that were able to, right. you know. You're a guy who gets up in the middle of the night, you've taken time off work, you know, just to make sure that you can watch these games in Korea. You thought about setting up a branch in Korea. You do a podcasting career. You were there performing 24 hours a day, it seems like, on Twitter, talking about Manchester City. And for any fan who turns up at a ground who's got his season ticket there to call you plastic, I would call him out. Where are you from at the moment, Football has moved on, and football now is, especially the Premier League, is this big global phenomenon. And to call somebody plastic because they come from somewhere else in the world and are passionate about Manchester City, yes, there will be some that are plastic, but that's not relevant to this idea of them being from Manchester and then going to the games. If they love it, they love it. If they don't, well, that's absolutely fair enough. They may be plastic, but. That's an individual's choice about how passionate they are about their football team rather than where they are from. Thank you very much, Walter. Um, Sorry for telling you off. No, there. no, no. That's one of the few times that I really enjoyed being uh, give, uh, given a telling off. But uh, here's my que- <laughs> here, here's 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 my question. You're in detention, Mike. Oh, oh gosh, yes, guys. Uh, let me ask you this uh, question. This is our um, our final question for this pod, um, and it's something that I'm very curious about because you, as I said, you you guys are both match going fans. So starting off with David. David, you've watched the game live and you've watched the game on TV. Are there things that you can appreciate when you watch the game live that you can't appreciate when you're watching the game on TV? I'm going to start with David and then go to Walter. It's an obvious one because when you're watching it on TV, you're following the ball. When you, and you, where you, in the, in the match, your, your vision is, is much wider. You can see all the things that are going on. You can, you can actually see the move developing that is going to lead to the potential of a goal, which you can't see when, when just on TV, you know, that's the player. There's one a few years ago with, um, Kolarov coming behind Nasri in a, in a derby game and Nasri, uh, passes the ball to Kolarov. Kolarov whips it in and Sergio tucks it away. I love Nasri. You, you, you didn't see until very late in, on the TV. You just didn't see him. Because Nasri's there with the ball. Nasri knows he's coming. We all know he's coming. We all know what's going to happen. And going back to your point that you started with, we are, myself, I feel I'm privileged to be able to go and watch the games live with my Chicago link. And I've got a lot of really great friends in Chicago. They're so knowledgeable and so passionate about this club. Uh, and I, I feel, you know, I'm representing them in many ways because they would love to be able to come to the Etihad more often and actually see the, the, the play. And these guys spend, when they do come, they spend a hell of a lot of money on the trip to get over here. And we should, as a club, I mean, I don't care where you're from. I don't care. It's a, it, for me, it's a big blue family. And oh. if you're a blue, you're, you're a part of my family. Walter, how would you describe 
the difference between watching a game live and watching a game on TV? Ah, there's no contest. Being there is mild there. Sorry for all those people that can't. But being there is... um, You get that much more into the atmosphere and it's happening live in front of you. And... As I always said, if it can't be at the game, the best place to watch it in is in, um, I always say a Mediterranean bar with a few beers. Yeah. And then, but you know, you, you watch, one of the biggest differences for me is, what makes me laugh is, the referee always has a bad game pretty much when, <laughs> when you're at the ground. For the simple reason being, you don't see the slow-mos, you don't see the, there's no stopping to, so yeah, his, his arm was offside. Do you know what I mean? You, so you, the decisions sometimes look completely um, out of sync, but uh, watching the game live, it's um, you feel part of it rather than watching. It's like being in a play rather than watching a play on telly. And I'm just thinking, what's the biggest difference? Now you sprung this on us. It's um, you see the build up, and you see the. Th- it's almost like saying when you're watching it on telly, you've a 180 degree view. When you're watching it in the real life, you've got a 360. And you can see the shape of the teams. If you were to talk to a City fan who only watches on the telly and ask them why Manchester City have conceded so few goals or so few opportunities on goal, they would maybe, some of the more knowledgeable fans would be able to tell you, but they wouldn't be able to specifically tell you as much as someone who's lived it and watched it and watched the team, the way it shapes and the way it pounces in sort of real life at the stadium. So, you know, it's um, football at the stadium is always great, but if you're in a decent bar surrounded by decent folks, it's a close second. Yeah, the camaraderie is just something wonderful. Um, Okay, Blues, that will do us for now. We will be back at the weekend with Colin Savage and David Gregory to begin our three-part adventure into the reign of Peter Swales. But until then, let's just say goodbye and thank you to our two guests. First of all, we want to say thank you to our City fan legend, Walter Smith. Walter, thank you. Oh, have a good week, Blues, and uh, don't worry about the result of West Ham. We've got it covered. <laughs> and we're also going to say thank you and goodbye to our friend David Gregory. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to my trip down to West Ham. Lovely, lovely people and a lovely ground. Enjoy the match at West Ham when we'll have Victoria and Colin back again. And don't forget to have one on us and up the blues. It's not